at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. You know, whoever the next mayor of the city of Milwaukee is, whether it's Cavalier Johnson or Bob Donovan, they're going to inherit, how can I say this? They're going to inherit one heck of a mess. Um, again, I, one of the things I always look at is the crime statistic numbers that the Milwaukee Police Department puts out. And I give them credit for being transparent. They're, they're always a couple days behind, though. Uh, year to date, homicides. Last year, there were 19. And as I've mentioned before, last year was an all-time record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee, 193. That was an unthinkable number. There was a time not that long ago where 100 homicides in the city of Milwaukee was just inconceivable. Last year, 193, and it wasn't an aberration because in 2020, there was 190 homicides. You say, could it possibly get worse? How could it possibly get worse? And the answer is, yeah, it, it can because this time, last year all-time record year for homicides there were 19 this year year to date 38 double double the number of homicides if it keeps up at this pace we're going to be close to 400 homicides in the city of Milwaukee now I don't think it possibly can but I will tell you I, I didn't think we could have close to 200 for the last couple of years and the, the numbers of as Mike was talking about it's it's just not getting better here's the latest story 33 year old man dead, shot while driving Tuesday near 91st and Appleton. I mean, 91st and Appleton, which isn't exactly what you would think of as the wild, wild west. The incident sent his car into a light pole, leaving a crash scene on Appleton Avenue for much of the afternoon. So again, you have the story yesterday afternoon. You have somebody who's um, driving. It happened apparently right in front of the El Greco family restaurant. So if you can picture that area, here in the afternoon, what happens? 91st and Appleton, again, there's a shooting, kills a guy, loses control of the car, and ends up dead. Well, it doesn't stop there. Last night, last night, 24th and Brown, about 10.15 p.m., there's a 19-year-old Milwaukee woman who's sitting in a car, and apparently she is shot in the back of the head while seated in the vehicle, officers discovered her in the area of 11th and North, provided life-saving measures. She's taken to a local hospital where she is in grave condition. Don't have any updates beyond that other than grave condition is not good. But it, it's, I would describe the mean streets of Milwaukee as, a, as the wild, wild west. But I'm going to tell you, that does a disservice to the wild, wild west. It just seems like it is getting more and more and more violent. And you almost reach a point of saying, what, what, what can you possibly do? Yes, we can catch the murderers, and yes, we can try to clear the cases, and yes, we can prosecute them, and yes, you can hopefully put them in prison for a long period of time. But it, it, it doesn't stop the fact that you apparently have a lot of very, very violent, dangerous, evil people who are out there with the impulse control of fruit flies who are, 
willing to, I don't know, shoot people driving in cars on 91st and Appleton Avenue in the in the afternoon, you know, execute a, a woman, that's what this pretty much is, shooting somebody in the back of the head while they sit in the car, it's pretty much an execution-style killing, and, and yet, and it's happening on just, not just on a daily basis, but this type of stuff is happening day after day after day, just absolutely staggering, and I guess my question is where, you know, what what the real ideas are going to be to stop this. And like I said at the start of this, whether it's Cavalier Johnson, whether it's Bob Donovan, whoever becomes the next mayor of the city of Milwaukee, this has got to be priority number one. And candidly, during this campaign, I'm not hearing many concrete proposals to really stop the violence. And that's got to be, I think, the first issue. All right. Tony Evers, yesterday... Looking at the fact that, you know, gasoline prices are now above $4 a gallon and continuing to, to skyrocket because of all the turmoil that's going on in Ukraine and the bans on Russian oil, something that I support, by the way. And my argument has always been it needs to be coupled with increased domestic oil production. And, and that's something that President Biden's really not into because he doesn't want to upset the, the climate conscious hard left by increasing the drilling, and that's why yesterday at his press conference, you know, President Biden says, well, there's all these leases that oil companies have that they're not drilling. Well, it's a much, it's a much more complicated than that because in order to like, drill on some of these locations, you also need leases for surrounding property so you can transmit, get the oil off, you know, where you're drilling and, you know, get it to market and things like that. And a lot of those leases are still being tied up. It's a complicated story, and Biden sort of underplays it, but that, that that's fine. Bottom line is, I think we need to increase domestic oil production quickly. But forget that for the moment. Right now, that doesn't help you because even if you start rebuilding the Keystone Pipeline, even if you get OPEC to increase its amount of production, even if you get the U.S. oil companies, you know, ramped up for drilling, whether it's offshore here, it, it, it takes a while. Strategic oil reserves, well, you can start opening them up, but that, that's only a partial solution. So the question is, what do you do with American consumers that are hurting right now with gas costs? So... Tony Evers joins a series of Democratic governors who have this press conference. And they say, here's what we think we should do. We want the federal government, we want Congress to suspend the federal gas tax. Okay. So we think you should suspend the federal gas tax, I think, for the balance of, of 2022. Let's just suspend it. Let's give consumers a break at the pump. And the break at the pump is about the federal gas tax is around 18 cents a gallon, ball, ballpark. Okay, so good idea. That, that, that's, that saves, you know, 18 cents a gallon. So Tony Evers is saying we think Congress should suspend the federal gas tax. Well, that then begs the question, though. In Wisconsin, between the gas tax which is a little bit north of 30 cents a gallon, and something they call the petroleum cleanup fee that they add on to that, Wisconsin consumers pay 33 cents a gallon in gas tax. And again, it's the excise gas tax and this extra fee. But it's 33 cents a gallon. In other words, it's almost twice, almost twice, what the federal gasoline tax is. So my question is this. If it's a good idea to give consumers a break and suspend the federal gas tax, 
while we are dealing with this unprecedented sort of situation and all the international turmoil, my question is, it's a simple one. Well, okay, maybe in Wisconsin, should we be looking at suspending the state gas tax? Save 33 cents a gallon. So, you know, 10 uh, you fill up with 10 gallons, you know, that, that's $3.30 less every tank of gas that you fill up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It was interesting to me that, that nobody at this press conference, nobody raised a hand and said, well, what about your, your state income taxes? Because actually that might be easier than, than, than Congress, you know. It, call a special session of the legislature. If you want to give people relief at the pump, isn't this the way that makes more sense? In Wisconsin, our gas tax is the 11th highest in the nation. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what do you think? I mean, Evers says he wants this federal gas tax suspended. Fine, well and good. What about the state gas tax? Should we do that? And if it's a good idea to suspend the federal gas tax, why wouldn't it also be a good idea to temporarily suspend the state Gas tax. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. I, I raised this, this question, and here's one of our texts. Jeff, can't thank you enough for bringing the subject up. I thought that immediately when I heard you start speaking about the federal gas tax, because our state gas tax should be an easier task for him to accomplish. Yeah, this this is this is my question. So with much fanfare, Tony Evers comes out with a bunch of other Democrat governors saying, we, we, want, we think that Congress should suspend the federal gas tax, which is 18 cents a gallon approximately. Okay, that's fine. And, and it's all that we want to give consumers relief. This is unprecedented times. We need to give consumers breaks. Okay, nobody asks what I think is the obvious question. Well, okay, Governor, in Wisconsin, the state gas tax, when you consider and add in the, the cleanup fee, it's 33 cents a gallon, almost double what the federal gas tax is. If it's a good idea for Congress to suspend the federal gas tax, why don't you... You know, make this proposal, go to the legislature and see how they feel about it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you can argue, I mean, I guess it begs the question, is it, and there's, there's really two issues, is it a good idea to suspend either one of the gas taxes, but if it's an okay idea to suspend the federal gas tax, why wouldn't you suspend this state gas tax if you really want to give people relief? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think it's a great idea. I think we should suspend both of them. It's not permanent, so we would go back and and get that tax back again to help fix roads, et cetera, et cetera. But... For right now, it would make a big difference in people's pocketbooks. Do you think it would? I mean, some people are going to say, "Okay, what's the big deal, Sue? You know, um, you're, you're going to you're going to set back the budgets. The, the DOT is not going to have enough as much money as it should have if we suspend it for three months or whatever. And all you're going to be saving consumers, you're only going to be saving consumers federal and state tax fifty cents a gallon. It's only fifty cents a gallon. Is it worth it?" Well, it is depending on the amount of driving you do. I mean, you know, truck drivers, um, that affects, mm -hmm. you know, trickles down into food and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's it's a big deal. 
Okay, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. I mean, that's, and, and that is true. A number of people are texting. I'll read a couple of texts in a few minutes who are saying, well, no, you don't understand that the, the roads continue to break down and, and you still need this. Well, nobody's talking about doing away with the state gas tax permanently. At least I, I wouldn't be, and I don't think they're, they're talking about suspending it. So, I mean, you know, who knows what the future is going to look like? Maybe, Maybe 60 days from now, maybe things have calmed down in, in Ukraine. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Maybe OPEC has decided to, to jump in and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Republics, maybe they've um, decided that they're going to put their beefs with Biden aside and they're going to increase, you know, oil production. You know, maybe you'll have Venezuela step up. I, I don't know. So I'm not talking about it permanently, but I don't know, for 30 or 60 days, to help people get through the immediate crisis? Is it a good idea? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Well, what about the summer blend uh, MTBE fuels that, you know, that we use in the summer from, what, about April through September, which adds, I think, about 25 to 50 cents a gallon and it's never been unanimous that it's doing anything good for the environment we've been talking about this for years every year they shut the plants down they gotta you know revise the the fuel blending and come up with this friendly gas and we're all going to live in harmony and we're paying a lot of money for that and that they could strike that right now before the oil companies have to start shuttering these plants and then you got all the speculators going wild We've seen that movie over and over again, Jeff. That's something they could do right now. And all these Democrat governors could say, yeah, why, why are we doing this? Why? I, no, th- thanks for calling. By the way, I, I don't disagree with that. If you're, yeah, and I know you're a regular listener to this program. I, I, I've been arguing against the need for the summer blend gas for the longest, you know, longest time. Jeff, 60 days worth of 33 cents less, less expensive gas. What does that translate into? Five bucks? Okay, so the idea is it's, well, no, it actually translates into a lot more than that. Let's say you suspend the federal and state gas tax. So you're talking just, just it would be more than 50 cents a gallon. So you're talking 50 cents a gallon, 10 gallons, every 10 gallons, that's five bucks. So yeah, it's five bucks every time you fill up your tank. I don't know. Maybe that would help people. Jeff, I don't think the gas tax should be suspended. Whatever you cancel will take away from elsewhere, such as road work and other projects supported by tax money. The situation is awful. Choices will be made to each of us. All right, that is a fair position to take. And that's a basis for arguing to Tony Evers, no, we, we shouldn't suspend any gas taxes. I'm just saying you, you, you got to have you can't have it both ways. You, if we're going to talk about the gas tax, Evers should have been up front and he should have come up and said, okay, I, I want to also suspend the state gas tax. Jeff, 50 cents is a lot. Some people fill up twice a week. Yeah, that, that, that is a, a big factor. Um, that's there. I, I think it does make a difference. Jeff, the Wisconsin legislature will not do anything that Governor Evers wants. They'll don't don't do anything to make him look good. They don't give a rat's rump about the constituents, and they're done working for the year. Well, all right, let let's put that to the test. Let's have Governor Evers come out and say, I I want. I am so committed to wanting to help the consumers of the state of Wisconsin that I, I want a special session of the legislature. I want to suspend the Wisconsin gas tax for 60 days. 
well, you know, we'll 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 see how we'll see where we are at the end of sixty days. And yes, that'll provide five to ten dollars per fill up relief for the citizens of the state of Wisconsin. And I want a special session. And then let's see how the Republicans react to that. Jeff, you will never recoup that loss of revenue. Well, you you, you know. No, you, you you will get that money back at some point in time. Now, it might take a while, and you might have to, I don't know, try to have some efficiencies, and, and maybe you have to delay some road-building project or something somewhere along the line. But I guess the problem is, what are you going to do, and where are your priorities? Jeff, if Governor Rivers brings this forward, what kind of support will he get from the Republicans who are in control? I don't know. I think that that's a fair question to ask. Why, why, don't we, why don't we try it? Jeff, don't we have a big old budget surplus right now in the state of Wisconsin? Yeah, we, we do have a budget surplus. So, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's one of the other alternatives. You try the gas tax suspension, the gas tax holiday, and then maybe you take some of that budget surplus and you use that to, I don't know, help underwrite some of the revenue that you've lost from the gas tax shortage. I mean, this is it. Jeff, the road builder lobby will hate it. Yeah, they'll hate it, but, you know, they need to get over it. You know, that's that's the that's the that's the bottom line of this. Jeff, there's got to be a way that we can help the people that can't afford the gas hike and then everybody else can kind of just live with it. Prices will come back at some point in time. It's time for Americans to suck it up and quit complaining about everything and get behind each other and support a cause. Um, well, I, I guess I, I don't disagree with any of that, but if we're, again, talking about short-term relief for what hopefully will be a short-term problem, and, and I, I, by the way, I do agree with the texter. I think prices are going to come down at some point in time. I think, I think if, if the conflict in Ukraine does not resolve itself, you are going to see sort of a realignment of energy around the world. And I, I, I do think at some point in time, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Republic, which have been in a feud with Joe Biden, I, I think at some point in time they're going to turn on the spigot. I think there might be some other sources as well. And I do think we need to do everything we can to do, increase domestic oil production. And I know whenever I say that, I get the people who are all big into the electric cars and stuff upset with me. Th- there will be a time that electric cars make sense. But that that's right now the power grid is not sufficient for that right now you need to get more oil into the gas stations at cheaper prices for the american consumers and then whatever happens five or ten years down the line happens five or ten years down the line in this case you've got a short-term crisis that you end up having to deal with um adam and Rippin. adam you're on wtmj hey jeff how's it going today good what do you think well, kind of took the wind out of my sail when the, the other uh, texture had talked about using the budget surplus. Um, I, I thought that right away, you know, Evers wants to give it back, you know, it's give the money back to the people. We got this money. Well, okay, how about we do suspend the gas tax This is and use that to kind of fill in the gaps from where we're going to lose that revenue. This way, it did, and this will help the legislature because this is something they can vote on. It's good for the people. It's not buying votes, and it's, it's just going to help everybody in Wisconsin. Yeah, and, and and again, it's a temporary sort of thing. I mean, I, I'm not talking about making this permanent at all. And you you you, you do it, okay? If you think thir- sixty days is too expensive, you do it for thirty days, and then you know see where see exactly where you are. But the bottom line is you're giving you're giving short term relief, and this is something that you don't have to fool with Congress, and you don't have to fight that. This is something that 
that it's close to home. Wisconsin, 11th highest gas tax in the country. Give the consumers a break. Hey, thanks for the call, Adam. I appreciate it. I, I, I just I raised this issue because when I saw this story yesterday, I'm going, wait, we're, we're, we're missing something here. If we want to talk about giving Wisconsin residents relief, this is the way to do it. Governor Evers, Governor Evers, can I get a harumph, harumph, harumph? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. This is admittedly a tricky sort of topic. But I I want to discuss the the interesting reaction that I'm seeing in in the media and the spin that this story is getting and the questions that that are being asked and the questions that aren't being asked. Uh, Now, if if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story that appears on on Channel 12 that that has the the video that I'm going to be talking about, but I'm I'm going to describe it to you in just a minute. And, And Channel 12 takes a certain angle on on this there's all sorts of ways you could present the story and 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 they they've decided to present it from a certain fashion all right so what happens the other day link this is friday lincoln middle school in kenosha now we all understand that kenosha has been sort of a flashpoint for all sorts of of problems with the police and things like that, or perceived problems. You know, you had the, the public outrage over the incident in Kenosha a couple of years ago, and then you had the riots in Kenosha and, and everything that, that stemmed from that. So there's a lot of people out there who say there's real problems with commu- police community relations. Other people might say, no, you've got problems in Kenosha with, with certain segments of the community. So anyhow, Friday afternoon, Lincoln Middle School, what happens is a big old fight breaks out at at the school, and you've got kids. Now these are these are middle school kids, so you're talking about you know 12 and 13 year old kids who are wailing at you. This is the way that um, it's described on, on Fox Six. Out of nowhere, says a sixth grader, two kids started to fight, and everybody was screaming. So you've got kids running around. Punches being thrown, all this sort of stuff. On site was a 37-year-old Kenosha police officer who was working off-duty for the district. So what happens is, as this fight is erupting, and as kids are screaming, and the melee is going on, and people are standing around with their cell phone videos, you know, videoing each everybody punching each other, what happens is the 37-year-old off-duty Kenosha police officer who's working, you know, for the district. Okay, he he jumps into action and he goes and he grabs one of the kids who turns out to be a 12-year-old kid who is involved in 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 the fight. And there is a struggle. Apparently as as he's trying to get the kid under control, he bangs his head on on like the desk or a table or, or something like that as he's trying to get the kid under control. So okay, he gets the kid under control. And then this is where the controversy is. There is a picture on the cell phone camera of the police officer restraining the 12-year-old. And I'm, I'm looking at it now. He's got his, he's, she's on the floor. He's got his head, his, his right hand on her, the back of her head. He's got his left hand kind of on her waist, holding her down. And he's got his knee 
on what appears to be either her shoulders or, or her neck. Now, we have no idea how long, and of course, this is, this is reminiscent of the George Floyd situation, I guess, where he was restrained for nine minutes. This is not a nine-minute restraint, but he's holding her down. He's got his knee on either the back of her neck or across the top of her shoulders, however you, you want to interpret it. But, but he's holding her down, trying to get her under control. Well, he has now been suspended while this investigation is is underway. The Channel 12 story, Kenosha community dismayed by seeing knee-on-neck video. Kenosha residents are reacting to the police tactics used to arrest a 12-year-old girl at her middle school. And then it quotes people about how, well, you know, this, this brings up George Floyd, and it shows, you know, that, you know, we haven't learned anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, we, and, all right, so that that's the approach, and the angle is, Oh, people are outraged because this 37-year-old police officer, who apparently was injured and in trying to break up this fight, you know, he's restraining the, the out-of-control 12-year-old, and yes, he's got her on the ground, and yes, again, we don't know how long this lasted. It wasn't George Floyd. It wasn't minutes and minutes and minutes, but he, he's restraining her to get her under control. The, the spin, of course, now is, oh, it's terrible that this police officer would have done something like this. How can you do this? Don't you understand? It's a 12-year-old. We need to have other sorts of things. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the Kenosha Education Association president issues a statement. It's I'll quote it. It's disheartening to see another negative and traumatic event in Kenosha schools receiving publicity and attention. Situations like the one at Middle Lincoln Middle School continue to illustrate the need for adequate and frequent training in de-escalation tactics, proper restraint holds, and restorative justice practices for all adults in a school building. It is unacceptable in any situation for an adult to restrain a young student by placing their knee on their neck. All staff, including those in any security positions, should be regularly participating in de-escalation and restraint drills. Just as students and staff practice tornado, tornado and active shooter drills every month, school fights and conflicts happen much more frequently than tornadoes. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and the, the, the girl was, by the way, not seriously injured as a result of this, but she had some bruises and stuff. So here you have a situation. A fight has broken out. It's a major league punch out. It is a melee. And one of the police officers steps in to control the situation and restrain the 12-year-old. And people are upset about the way he restrained the kid that was involved in the fight. Are we missing something here? Like, maybe, what are they supposed to do? Just let the kids go ahead and beat the crap out of each other? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Good afternoon, Jeff. This is Julie from Kenosha. While I have my feelings about the Kenosha Education Association, I'll put those aside. What the police officer was trying to do was avoid catastrophe where students got injured. He was trying to subdue one of the perpetrators. Just exactly how are we supposed to handle physical chaos in our schools? Jeff, I read this from someone else that sums up my feelings. Quote, if you are more concerned with the actions of the police officer than those of the kids involved, you are part of the problem. And I would certainly include Channel 12 News as being part of the problem. Maybe we should just sit back and let the kids kill each other. I, 
Well, see, that's it. I get that this like, well, you know, we, we need to talk about de-escalation techniques. Oh, okay, earth to complainers. You, you've got a middle school where it's now this huge melee, and you've got kids that are wailing on each other. So what, de-escalation techniques? I, excuse me. Children, here we, we we need you to stop throwing those punches. Here, we don't. look, getting physical is always the last option, and, and it nothing good comes from it. I, I understand it, but but what are the choices when you're watching two kids just wail on each other? You've got this melee that's there. You're a police officer. Are you supposed to just stand by the side and let the kids just whack each other? And then what happens? All right, let's flip flip the script on this. Let's say the police officer makes the decision that he's not going to try to get physical and try to restrain one of the kids. Okay? Makes that decision. One of the kids smacks the other kid in the face. The kid gets knocked over. The kid that's falling down whacks their head on a table or whatever, like the police officer does. But in this case, the, the, the wax his head kid has a you know a brain trauma and ends up dying and then the argument is going to be okay what do you mean you had police officers that were there and they decided to not intervene or they tried to use verbal de-escalation techniques i have no problem with doing that getting physical is the last step but let's have can't we have a real world conversation and understand that when when you've got you know, the, these out-of-control kids or kids who are behaving in an out-of-control fashion, at some point in time, you can't just let them whack each other as, as hard as they can until they, they get tired. Can you? Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, it makes me very angry because this is a, a perfect example of damned if they do, damned if they don't. And it's exactly the scenario you just said. The same groups that are complaining now would be complaining that the police didn't do enough and they caused another person to be hurt and they don't care about certain groups. It is the same people complaining because no matter what, they spin the story to, you know, go with their narrative. And I'm mm-hmm. just so angry with it. I'm so tired of it. Yeah. Now, yeah, thanks for calling, Mike. Now, look, I, I, the thing I do not know is... And, and everybody's likening this, okay, this is the George Floyd case and stuff like that. Now, I, I don't, this is a snapshot, which is a moment in time. And I don't exactly know where precisely the officer's knee is. And you don't know how long he had that on there. This isn't, I mean, I know it's it's not a, like a nine-minute sort of sort of thing. And that's one of the things that we, we just, again, don't know. Was this the officer is struggling with this 12-year-old and is trying to, and, and again, I understand people say, well, you know, you've got a 37-year-old police officer and you've got a 12-year-old and you, you've got to use these type of tactics. Well, oh, okay, you're trying to break up this fight. Now, again, I, I think if it turns out that the officer had this kid down on the ground with his knee on on her neck and had it there for three or four or five minutes, that's different than if, okay, was this a kind of a spontaneous sort of thing where they're struggling, he's trying to get her to stop resisting, and, and you've got him holding on to her in this fashion for a couple seconds. They're, they're, they're all different sort of inquiries. And, and, and maybe if it would turn out, and I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not that case, that this was a five-minute or a ten-minute restraint, that, that's a whole different sort of story. But I don't think this is the George Floyd type of setup. But the larger point is, 
because n- nobody's asking the question about, gee, what was it that led these kids to get into this incredible fight? But what, more importantly, what are what are they supposed to do? And the silliness about, well, we need to teach de-escalation techniques. Well, well, maybe what you really need to be doing is teaching the kids not to get involved in brawls in the middle of, of a school cafeteria or, or wherever, and that there will be consequences. Jeff, um, you're right. What if the officer had done nothing and one of the kids had gotten hurt? The parents would have been saying, why didn't you do something? And they'd be suing the school over that. You can't win. You're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. Jeff, I say let them fight. Maybe a hockey game will break out. No, you can't let them fight. I mean, I don't think you can let them fight. Jeff, I think the officer should not be suspended. Jeff, Winter Community is going to start holding parents accountable for the children's actions. Parents should be teaching the children not fighting is that fighting is not the way to resolve the situation. Well, again, this I, I don't know that it's fair to blame the parents. Jeff, you cannot de-escalate a situation with an out-of-control 12-year-old who's been influenced by social media overreaction. You know, the other disappointing thing to me about this is, once again, you don't have peacekeepers. By, by that, I mean you, you don't have kids that are acting as peacekeepers. What you have is is everybody's pulling out their cell phones and and you're videoing this. Let's see what's going to happen. And then predictably, okay, let's take this particular snapshot and let's look at this police officer and then we're going to turn the police officer's behavior into this particular issue. Now look, I, I think I, it, it is fair to always try to learn from situations. And, and maybe you're going to look at this thing and you're going to go back to the 37-year-old police officer and you're going to say, look, this, this was a 12-year-old. Did you need to use this particular restraint technique um, on on her? Was there something else you can do? So maybe it is a teachable moment to an extent. But the, the kid, this isn't George Floyd. The kid was not seriously injured. But I, I look at, again, the, the controversy here. Nobody's asking the question about, gee, you know, what do we do with the kids that started the fight? Instead, it's like, oh, we, we think that the police officer, well, they didn't learn anything at all from the way they tried to control the people who were involved in the brawl. Which brings us back to the other larger question, which is, who wants to be a police officer nowadays? I mean, seriously, can you imagine this particular cop who who's now... All he's trying to do is is break up a fight between kids, stop the situation from getting worse, and now you're the bad guy by trying to break up the fight when we're not focusing on what the underlying problem is, which is why did the kids get into the brawl in the first place? Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff. People don't understand what law enforcement officers sometimes have to deal with in the reality of a situation. They think a few seconds or minutes of camera footage tells the whole story. Um, I used to be a, su- a school resource officer. I had a six-year-old one time take on a principal, a full-sized male principal, and he had to call law enforcement because he had to, he could not control the the six-year-old. Um, yeah, that's it. Jeff, if you want police in schools, then, you know, they should not be suspended. I, I agree. Jeff, fighting in school, time to take the police out, have the teachers and administrators and secretaries and the president of the Kenosha Education Association and the cooks take care of the fight. If they can't, call the parents to come and help. Good luck and see how quickly they all 
cry for the police. Jeff, 12-year-olds have a lot of strength. They can do damage if out of control. Again, I, I, I guess it, what, what's got me started was this the whole way this, this story has been spun. If if you think the police officer used excessive force, okay, you can, you can kind of have that conversation. But what was it that prompted them to have to use this force in the first place? Well, it was out-of-control kids and a melee. And why aren't we talking about that? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Is he a whiner, or does he have a point? Or is he a whiner who has a point? Um, you know, yet yesterday... Of course, the breaking news story was was Aaron Rodgers re-signing with the Packers, and they're going to pay him. He says he hasn't exactly signed it yet, but the numbers being thrown around are like $200 million for four years. I mean, just incredibly, you know, what what I refer to as stupid money. But, you know, that's Aaron Rodgers, arguably the best player in the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers, I think he's kind of notably thin-skinned. He doesn't like getting criticized for the stuff he does, but... I would argue it kind of comes with the territory. Well, there's another story like that that's playing out, and this time it's from the world of, of basketball. It's the NBA. The Los Angeles Lakers, which have always been one of the the glamour teams in the NBA. Matter of fact, there's a series that's um, airing on, on, Showtime, on uh, HBO right now, and it's called like Winning Time, and it's this dramatization of how the Lakers, after they drafted Magic Johnson with Kareem, and how they became this powerhouse. But it's Los Angeles. It's everything that's cool. It's just great. And here we've got these larger-than-life personalities. But that's always been how the Lakers are. Now, right now, the Lakers, LeBron James, arguably arguably the best basketball player in the history of the NBA. Some people would probably say Michael Jordan, but very, very accomplished. He's towards the end of his career. He's playing for the Lakers, and this year the Lakers brought in Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook um, has been in the league since uh, 2008. He spent most of his career with Oklahoma City and then left them after the 2018-2019 season, went to Houston, and then played in Washington last year. But he's from Los Angeles. They brought him in to L.A., 44 million bucks, and he was supposed to be the missing piece for the Lakers to, again, get them back to prominence and have them challenging for the NBA title. Well, what do they say about the best laid plans of mice and men? It has not worked out that way. The Lakers are a hot mess. I was just looking at the NBA standings. They're they're 28 and 36 right now. So they have the ninth best record in the in the Western Conference. And the way it stands now, they, they'd have to participate in the play-in game to, I think, even make the, the playoffs. But but it could go either way. Like I say, there's all sorts of other teams that are bunched right around them. So, you know, they lose a couple more games. It's entirely possible that they're going to be completely and totally out of the playoffs, which is something you, you don't think of happening in L.A. Well, for whatever reason, the fans have really broken bad on, on Michael um, Westbrook. And so what they've done, they, they've taken to, on, on social media and at games, 
both home and away. So this is the home fans too. And also on shows like some of the ESPN Sports Centers and stuff, they've started calling him Michael Westbrook. Not Westbrook. Westbrook in when he throws up shots, they're they're bricks, you know. And so uh, the other night, Monday night, after the Lakers lost to the San Antonio Spurs, what he does is, is he has this this press conference, and he says, I, I've, "I've had enough of this." He said, "You know, it's not right for people to use Westbrook to tease us like this." He said, you know, my wife is offended. I'm at a point where I, I don't want to bring my wife and my kids to the, the Lakers games because they, they hear, you know, Westbrook, and they, they hear me being taunted. And then the wife says that, you know, on social media, she's also gotten, you know, people that are reaching out with obscenities and things like that. And he goes on this, this kind of five-minute screed about how it's just demoralizing for him. He wants the fans to stop. He doesn't think it's fair that they're calling him Westbrook and all these different things. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I, I guess I, I look at this, and first of all, I, I've always believed that the families and children, whether it's of athletes or politicians or whatever, are, are off limits. And so if people are sending nasty notes to his wife, well, that, that's clearly off limits. But on the other hand, if this guy is complaining because, gee, I go into these arenas and I'm getting yelled at by the fans who are disappointed with my play, um, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that you're making $44 million. Now, again, I, let, let's put aside the issue of you know, stuff that's directed at, at, uh, at, at wife and children. That's a different thing. But he's complaining that, gee, I, I'm getting teased. I'm getting you know, yelled at. I, I'm getting these fans that are screaming these different things at me when I'm out there playing a game. What does he think is going to happen? And I, I don't want to condone rude behavior, but doesn't some of this come with the territory? He makes $44 million a year. So, yes, he's going to go into arenas, and if fans don't think he's performing up to his contract, or rightly and wrongly they blame him for the failure of the team, doesn't that come with the territory? Isn't that what happens when you decide to sign your name on the contract and say, I'm going to take the money? If you disappoint the fans, is it fair, is it unreasonable to realize that, hey, they they can in fact turn on you? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Morg... um, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. Yeah, I said Michael. It's Russell Westbrook. Yeah. But, okay, he's complaining about he's complaining about the, the fans, and they're saying Westbrook, and they're teasing me, and they're yelling like this, and I just don't think it's right, and I want it to stop. I guess my reaction is, first of all, that's what you kind of sign up for. Now, yelling at your kids, that's a whole different thing. But, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you are going to be heckled if they don't think you're performing, if you can't handle that, maybe what you should do is find another lower profile type of position. 855-616-1620. Are the fans being unreasonable, or does this just come with the territory when you decide to... Enter the public arena. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, Westbrook sounds like a prima donna crybaby. Well, he kind of does. And, And by the way... 
complaining that the fans are, are teasing him and heckling him doesn't sound like the best way to get the fans to stop teasing and heckle him. Jeff, you have to take the good with the bad. Stiff upper lip comes to mind. Well, that that's the thing. Anybody who is in the, the public eye has to realize, and I was going to say in today's day and age, but it's probably always been with that, like that, but there, there's there's good and bad. The vast majority of you who listen to the program love the program, like the show, love it the show. Most of the, the feedback I get, people come up in public and say, hey, we've been listening to you for decades. We really love the program you do. But there is a certain segment of the audience, we call them, or at least I call them the I, I hate you every day crowd, that, that just listens religiously but just doesn't like it. And so you know, you'll get these texts or you get these emails that are just incredibly nasty, and it's kind of like, eh, oh, okay, that, that's fine. You know, every twice a month, the folks from Good Karma put money in my bank account and pay for my health insurance and things like that. That's okay. You take the good with the bad. And if you can't deal with the relative handful of trolls that are out there, well, maybe you need to have a, a different position and in this case he's making 44 million dollars and he is underperforming his contract or maybe he is maybe isn't and maybe it's unfair that he's you know the whipping boy for all these disaffected Lakers fans but it's it's kind of the reality isn't it Jeff if someone wants to pay me 44 million dollars he can call me anything he wants Jeff first of all get a helmet that's it Wagner's rule of life number one has been and always is life is tough get a helmet Jeff second of all throw a little gas on the fire do you think it's going to get better now um yes jeff our society is turning into all participation ribbons ribbons you can't criticize anybody while they're growing up so why would you expect something different when they get to the professional level our society's changed and it's really sad jeff two words play better stop throwing up bricks and they won't call you west brick <laughs> yeah that's it jeff i would take a hundred thousand dollars to be called west brick jeff jeff maybe the fans should call him clank instead of brick he's been absolutely terrible this year jeff what a baby west brick is millions of dollars to play a game and he can't take some jeers maybe he should quit and work at a fast food place um that that's it. Jeff, how much he's making has nothing to do with his reaction to the fans' name-calling. Well, I disagree with that. I mean, I think it's if you if you are going to be a highly compensated professional athlete, there you, you take the good and the bad with that. And the bad might be that, hey, if you become a, a, an enemy of the fans, so let's, let's take a baseball situation. Um, Ryan Braun, after the the whole steroid scandal and stuff for the balance of Ryan Braun's career you know whenever he went on the road the fans were merciless if you ever went to a Brewers road game and they announced Ryan Braun I mean the fans were just absolutely merciless on Ryan Braun but I mean I guess my reaction was that came with the territory and you know when you did what Braun did you, you got to understand if you're still going to play the game you you're going to get that type of scrutiny and you're going to get those type of jeers and you're going to have to end up playing through it i do think uh, the texture continues however how much he's making has nothing to do with the reaction to fans name calling however when you're in the sport of show business you have to understand when the fans are angry with you and you have to have a thick skin um right jeff i'm going to take a rare stance of siding with an overpaid athlete 
Um, although this is the expectation these days, I'm on his side. Our society as a whole has become far too nasty, and it impacts many other areas outside of professional sports. It's time for us to set better examples. I guess my comment to that would be I, I don't think this is a product of the times. Maybe because we have 24-7 media and you, you've got – so, so you've got ESPN Sports Center or Fox. Uh, the the, the um, his wife was apparently particularly upset with Skip Bayless, who's one of the the commentators, not on ESPN, but I think on the Fox Sports thing. And and Skip Bayless is a jerk, in my opinion. Don't mean to offend him, but I, I, he's he's a jerk. But he's one of the ones that publicly calls him, you know, um, Russell Westbrook. And so his wife is upset that the guy's saying that on ESPN. Well, okay, you know what, what you know what what are you going to do in a situation like that? So maybe you know maybe it gets more attention because you've got you know twenty four seven sports type of stuff, and you've got the internet where everybody becomes a critic and can go and do that. But I don't know that this is any different than it's ever been. My guess is there's lots of professional athletes who will tell you about how hard the fans were on them when they were quote unquote underperforming. I mean, you you talk I, I was I was watching this documentary on Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and and everybody in New York back in the day loved loved Mickey Mantle and they, they didn't like Roger Maris. And so I mean some of the things that people were saying to Roger Maris and stuff. I so I don't know it's really any different now other than it's perhaps more intense. But I guess that that's kind of the bottom line to me. You know, if you are a professional athlete, you are incredibly com- well compensated to do a, a job. And at the end of the day, it's a job that most people would probably do for free. And it seems to me you have to be willing to take the good and the bad. And in the case of Russell West Westbrook, Going and having these press conferences, you know, denouncing the fact that the fans are, are jeering him and heckling him. Number one, it's not going to make it better. And number two, I, I think it's misplaced. Now, again, I think kids, if his kids are getting, you know, people screaming things at the kids, and that, that's fine. If he doesn't feel he can take the kids to the game anymore because he doesn't want them to hear them, the, the jeers, well, okay, then you should probably leave the kids at home. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As long as we're talking about a story from the world of sports, we are all awaiting the announcement today as to whether Major League Baseball and the Players Union can can reach an agreement to salvage a 162-game season. I, I, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. I, I am a baseball fan, so I mean, I, I have a vested interest because the radio station I work at, of course, is the flagship for the Brewers game, so that's it. But beyond that, I, I have a 20-game season ticket pack to the Brewers, and to me, you know, baseball is the soundtrack of the summer. I love I love the pace of the game, not necessarily the four-hour games, but I love that every, you know, every night that there's going to be a ball game on, and it just, I, I enjoy everything that there is about baseball. I think the Brewers have put out a very, very competitive team, so I'm really hoping on a many different levels there is baseball, including, and perhaps most importantly, for all the quote-unquote little people, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way at, at all, because I'm, I'm one of those, I'm one of the fans that go there, but for the people who work at the ballpark, the people who sell the beer and, and, and work at the concession stands and, and raise money for their organizations and things like that. You know, you, they lost two years ago. The whole season was a washout. Last year, a good portion of the season was it was struggles because it was diminished crowds. And, and now, you know, it's like, okay, is the game going to be canceled again? And 
all because you have a $10 billion industry, as I've said before, and the players and the owners can't figure out how divide, to divide up $10 billion. And in this case, actually, I think I'm more on the player side than I am on the owner side, but that's another issue. But, but here's an interesting piece in today's L.A. Times, and I hope somebody in those negotiating rooms today, if today is like one of the drop-dead dates, is looking at this. So the um, L.A. Times does this poll. In the poll, it says six out of ten Americans say they were not baseball fans, which I think is that's probably true. I mean, I think for a lot of people, especially younger people that don't have the connection to the game, yeah, I think, you know, they basketball is more played, you know, football is kind of a different sort of thing. So soccer, of course, is, has a huge popularity. So anyway, 6 in 10 Americans say they were not baseball fans. Of those that describe themselves as fans, which would be, 40%. Six in 10 of those said the lockout had caused them to lose interest in baseball this season. Um, after baseball's last labor dispute, the player strike that resulted in the cancellation of the 94 World Series and delayed the start of the 95 season, league average attendance dropped and did not recover until 2006. It took them 12 years to get back to where they were. And now you're starting to see these polls where people are just kind of hacked off. You know, you've got turmoil in the world. You've got, you know, you've got two million people who've suddenly become refugees. You've got inflation, gas prices going through the roof. You have, you know, fundamental questions about are we on the verge of World War III or, or whatever. And you have people who want to turn to, say, baseball. It's like the national pastime. Look for a little bit of relief. And now you're finding that that's not there. Here's the problem with baseball. If they blow this, and I'm, I'm addressing this to the owners and the players, if they blow this, I think I think it's going to be more than 12 years to recover. Because things like baseball, as I've said before, they are a habit. And once you fall out of that habit, once it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I just, I'm doing other things now. I found other stuff to watch. There's all these other choices. Hey, I, I'm, into, I'm into my golf game. I'm into this. You know, we're doing all these things. Once people fall out of that habit, it's tough to get them back in that habit. And, I mean, I think really today is an important day. If these billionaire owners and multimillion-dollar players can't get together, work out an equitable settlement, and like I say, I think the players do have some legitimate beefs here, but there's so much money. You should be able to figure this out. You should look at this survey because I believe this. I think you're going to lose a bunch of fans, and those fans that you lose, they're never coming back. Or if they're coming back, they're not coming back for a long time. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I guess I'm not surprised this story, um, latest breaking news, and Mike was talking about it. A Russian airstrike hits a maternity hospital outside one of the Ukrainian cities, Maripol, burying adults and children under rubble. And, and this is, I mean, clearly this is what's, what's been going on. Um, Russia, in my opinion, <coughs> excuse me, made, made two bad miscalculations. First, they thought, Putin thought Ukraine would not resist. And I think he thought that they, they would just roll over Ukraine and this would be like other Russian you know, conquests over time. That shouldn't turn out to be the case. Secondly, I think Putin <coughs> thought that the free world would, would not band together in the fashion that it did. 
And so that that was the idea as well. And, and Putin, both of these were miscalculations. And so now I, I think you're in a situation where, from the Russian perspective, you don't know exactly what the end game is, is going to be. But as, as the Russian advances stall, what you see is more military action being taken against civilian targets. You see, you know, again, bombing of, of civilian centers. And, and I guess the idea is to create so much terror that, that you, you break the will of the Ukrainian people. And in contrast, that, that's not what's happening. If anything, I think it's very, very clear that the Ukrainian people are not going to be subjugated by, by the Russians. And so even if there ultimately is some point where there's a military breakthrough and the Russian tanks move into Kiev and things like that, this, isn't, this is not a country that is going to roll over. And, and you're looking at a long, a long slog because there's going to be insurgencies. And, and more importantly, what's happening is Russia becomes more and more isolated as this goes on. I mean, every day I... I catalog a whole bunch of stories, and, and what you're seeing is Russia has really become a pariah. You are seeing worldwide countries that are are pulling out. They're just simply saying, we're, we're not doing business anymore. Now, whether they're doing that because they're feeling pressure or you know, who knows, but Coca-Cola, Pepsi pulling back from Russia, McDonald's pulling out, Harley pulling out, Starbucks suspending business. So you have all of that, not to mention the you know all the other the the, the pullbacks on, on purchasing energy and things like that and it, it's very clear matter of fact there's a piece in the washington post today that makes this point about how it's like because of russia's actions of aggression there, there's really been like like a new iron curtain that is descending and, and russia becoming pretty much an international pariah Okay, you can't get access to foreign banking systems, and you can't use your your Visa credit cards, and you can't use your MasterCards. You can't do anything like that. You can't travel outside the country. The stock market's been closed since, I mean, this whole thing started. You There's limits on how much money you can take out of the bank, and there's limits as to whether you can get it in foreign currency. I mean, Russia really has managed to incredibly isolate itself in in a very, very limited period of time. But having said all that, that doesn't stop the fact that Russia's lobbing missiles and, and hitting hospitals. And you've got 2 million people already who have become refugees pouring across the Polish border. The, the conflict, if anything, it sounds like Russia is trying to, they're becoming more frustrated as they're unable to, achieve what they hope to achieve quickly so they're ratcheting up the conflicts and things like that so right now i think it's very clear that the sanctions are are working as far as isolating russia the ukrainian people are putting up a noble sort of struggle what's happening is the the west is arming ukraine um the czech republic sent 10,000 rocket-propelled grenades to their defenders last week alone. <clears throat> in Poland, the, um, apparently the Ukrainian border has become so crowded with military cargo jets that on Saturday some flights were briefly diverted until airfield space became available. What, what's happening is, by land at least, you're seeing the West provide a, a ton of munitions to Ukraine, with the idea that Ukraine is going to use this against the Russians. 
one of the things that Poland did yesterday, and it surprised the United States, is that here, here's what we want to do. We, we've got all the, these Russian, these old Russian fighter jets. We want to transport them to Ukraine. And then United States, we want you to give us, you know, comparable new fighter jets. And, and the U.S. said, no, we're, we're not going to do that because we think that's going to be an escalation. And once you fly these things into Ukraine, you're going to inevitably get into, like, dogfights with the Russian MiGs and things like that. And at least at this point in time, you've got the West that's supplying arms to Ukraine, but it's not western planes it's not western troops that are actually on the ground fighting the russians because the feeling is that that ratchets it up to an entirely new level all right our number is 855-616-1620 should we ratchet it up the, the humanitarian toll and here here's hear me out here i'm not advocating this but i raise the issue the humanitarian toll that is being taken in Ukraine is absolutely huge. I, I told this story yesterday, and it, it stuck with me. Stuck with me all day. I was I was sitting at, at a car dealer waiting to get the oil changed in my car, and they had it was the CBS Morning News, something I I, I never watch, and, and they had a reporter who was on the Ukraine Poland border, and he was interviewing people, and they had it was a. a it was a mother and her three-year-old son, and they had left the husband behind. He, he was fighting, and they literally left with the clothes on their back. And this three-year-old kid, he's got his backpack, and he, he opens it up for the camera, and he's got a handful of toys in it and, you know, a, a jacket and a couple shirts. And, and that's pretty much it. This kid fled literally with the, with the clothes on his back. And it, it just did underscore to me that, I mean, there is, there is good and evil in the world. And I don't have any problem saying this. Vladimir Putin is evil. And anybody who would do something like this is, in fact, evil. It is a huge humanitarian crisis. There, there's no question about it. I also believe that if, if Russia if you can't work out a peaceful resolution of this, and I don't know what that's going to be, it, it ultimately Russia is going to crush Ukraine, ultimately. But it, there, that's you're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of more deaths, and you're going to have you know millions more potentially displaced. Ukraine has, what, 40-plus million people that are in it. So the question is, all right, right now we are providing arms to Ukraine, but it's for Ukraine to use against the Russians. Is it time to ratchet things up, understanding that if NATO does get involved directly, you know, that has the potential to dramatically escalate this. The alternative, though, is probably to sit by the sidelines and watch Ukraine ultimately, slowly, get get swallowed up. 855-616-1620, do we stay out? At least continue the sanctions, continue to provide arms but avoid direct military contact and and how long how long will that work before putin takes it as an act of war that okay you're you're not actually shooting at russian soldiers but you're providing stinger missiles to the ukrainians who then use those stinger missiles to shoot at russian soldiers 855-616-1620 we discuss jeff wagner on wtmj 
855-616-1620 is our number. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage today and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right, let me be real clear about this. It, it is a humanitarian crisis. And, look, I, I think one of the things that we've understood from the last month is that Ronald Reagan was right and Barack Obama was wrong. Russia is the evil empire, and Russia does present an existential threat to the free world. So I I think if nothing else, this has exposed that. What's happened in Ukraine has exposed that. I think the sanctions are appropriate, and I think that long term, I think anything the free world can do to recognize that Russia, under its present leadership, again, is not interested in... I don't coexisting peacefully with the world. I, I think it, it's good that we've come to aware of that. Be aware of that. I think the sooner the free world weans itself from dependence on Russian energy, the better off we we will all be. Now, having said that, I don't think Ukraine. I don't think it's the spot for the United States. It's the wrong location at the wrong time for the United States and for NATO to get into a, a shooting war. So I, I don't. I don't believe boots in the ground or things like that. I think that what we're doing is appropriate, and I hope we continue to do it. I also want to see economic sanctions ramped up, um, because maybe, to me, the the way this all ends ultimately is either there's a diplomatic off-ramp that you find for Putin so he can save some face, or ultimately... Um, the, the Russian people or the Russian leadership, the people around him, just say enough is enough. We, we cannot do this. But do I think that we need to do, – do I think we should be flying U.S. planes in and trying to enforce a no-fly zone? No, I, I don't believe so because actually I think what we're doing now, what the free world is doing now, while it, it doesn't stop the humanitarian crisis that is going on in Ukraine, I think – Ultimately, it's going to bring be constitute the downfall of Russia. I, I firmly believe that, and it can't happen too soon because Russian leadership are evil. These are evil, horrible people, and I think it and underscores again that there is good and evil in the world, and you're looking at evil. Jeff, I feel at least for now we stay the course. However, Putin amps up his efforts, and I think NATO will get involved. Jeff, I think... With how egotistical Putin is, he will find a reason to progress further and continue to provoke the U.S. and other countries to proceed into war. At that point, the U.S. will intervene, and part of me thinks we should already be fighting against Russia for what they are doing to innocent Ukrainians, especially with the story that came out today about the bombing of the children's hospital. Um, yeah, Um Let's see. Jeff, the question is, is the world going to be blackmailed by the Putin regime from now on? Well, I, I and the answer is no. But I, I think, again, I think Russia, even if they're getting some success gradually militarily, I, I think they're losing the overall battle because they're not progressing like they wanted to in Ukraine. They've now resorted to you know taking all these civilian targets, which is making them, if it's possible, they're even a bigger pariah in the world. I think people are recognizing that this is truly the evil empire, and the damage that is being done to their economy. I, I don't. It's it's not coming back anytime 
soon. Jeff, yes, it's time for democracy to act. We need to threaten Putin with his own nuclear death to combat his rhetoric. It's the only way to have people turn on him. Uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, there are lots of wars with thousands of deaths and millions of refugees around the world. What is it about Ukraine that makes you somehow relate and empathize with them more? It's not a question of with more. In this case, this is not a this is not a civil war. Right? This is one of the arguably three superpowers in the world, Russia, China, and the United States, that has launched into a war of aggression uh, against a, a neighboring state, which, by the way, borders on you know all these, these NATO countries and could be a launching point that would further threaten the NATO alliance. So, yes, I, I understand that there's civil wars that are going on all over, but this is a superpower which has decided to invade, and to me that, that makes it different. Rob in Illinois. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I think the reason why the United States paused before allowing Poland to send jets uh, is because the real story is Poland was going to send them to an American base. The American base was going to put American things on it, and then it was going to be transferred into Ukraine. So figuring out how to get these planes across the border is not as simple as you say it was. It's not because because the United States said we didn't want to send planes. It was because they didn't agree with how the Polish wanted to do it. And we do have to be sensitive to that. If, Like you said, if we send planes in there and they go across the border with NATO pilots in them, well, then we're trying to enforce, you know, ourselves into a war zone. And yeah, so and then, and what happens if something gets shot down? How to get these things across the border? What? Right, which is one of the reasons why they're not. They're, there's all these truck convoys, like these Stinger missiles and stuff. They're, they're all coming through on the ground. They're not. They're not being flown in or anything like that to well, avoid agree. exactly that but problem. But the question yeah. was you brought up. The question you brought up was the planes, and the planes are a difficult issue because how do you get planes across the border? Usually, you fly them, and unless you can find a, a way of putting a MiG jet on a truck and have it come across the border, you know, clandestinely, I think it's going to be hard for any NATO country, Poland, the United States, anything, to get a jet into Ukraine. Yeah. Other well, than to have it fly across. Unless you get Ukrainian pilots to come into Poland and agree to fly right. the jet back to there. That's well, what about the larger, I guess, what uh, about the larger the, the question, though, Rob? No, but Rob, the larger question is... Yeah. Should we be worrying about this? Should we say this is the evil empire, this is a war of conquest, we need to stop it here, we can't have Russia lobbing missiles into hospitals and things like that, you know, we're, we're, we're going in and we're going to stop them. I mean, should, should we say that? I think short of war, that's what we're trying to do right now. I'm not so sure, and I'm not sure you know either whether this will work or not. Yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, you know, I think your analysis is, is kind of right. You know, the Ukrainian army and their defenses will not be able to hold up in the long run. But hopefully in the meantime, you can make it a war that's difficult enough for Putin that he tries to find a way yeah. out and find safe faith and negotiate. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I agree. I mean, <clears throat> to me, that that's the hope that there's some, and I don't know what that diplomatic off-ramp would be. That's why... 
And I think one of the things that Putin badly misjudged, going back to how I started this segment, he, he didn't realize that Ukraine was going to put up the fight that he did. It does. And he didn't realize that the, the free world, that the West, would be able to unite. I think he thought that, well, there, there's such a dependency on, on my energy that, that I and, the, and France and Germany, nobody and Turkey, and nobody can agree with anything. And the United States and Great Britain, nobody can, and Switzerland. Switzerland always stays out of this. Nobody can agree on, on anything. And I think he made a severe miscalculation in recognizing the results and what you're seeing in the free world. And, and I think, Rob, I, I agree. To me, that that's the scenario. Ukraine holds on. This becomes a war of attrition. And meanwhile, all the sanctions that the free world are, are putting on to Russia put such pressure on Vladimir Putin through what's happening to average Russian citizens that in order to retain power, he's got to find that diplomatic off-ramp. I'm not smart enough to know what that diplomatic off-ramp is. If it's Ukraine has to surrender and lay down its arms and essentially become a Russian state, that's not going to happen. They're, they are not going to do that. And that's why from Russia's perspective, I don't know what the end game is, because even if they occupy Ukraine, they're, 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 in, for, they're in for two decades a fighting. It's going to be a nasty, I won't even say it's civil war. Ukraine's not going to give up its sovereignty. I mean, Ukraine's already made that decision that they're looking to the West for democracy. It's, I mean, again, if it's not a global mess, it'll do till a mess gets here. I still don't think, though, that the right thing to do is to escalate. But I, I do think for everybody who's saying America first, you know, we, we have no interest in being over there in the first place. No, we, 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 we have an interest in working with our NATO partners and the rest of the free world to stop the evil that is Russia from what they're doing and that ink stain of evil evil to stop it from spreading. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. You know, I always say that elections have consequences. Um, if you don't like the fact that Donald Trump is going to appoint somebody to the Supreme Court who's conservative, well, then people shouldn't have elected Donald Trump. If you don't like the fact that Joe Biden is going to you know, shut down domestic oil production, then we shouldn't have elected Joe Biden. I mean, it's it, th those are, are the realities. And I guess my general reaction to things is that once... Once people make decisions, then the, the recourse is there's another election two years from now or four years from now or whatever, and you get a chance for do-overs. You get a chance to rectify your mistakes. Having said that, now I understand that there might be some people out there who I, I disagree. Oh, how dare you say that you know it was a mistake to elect Donald Trump and, or, or vice versa or Joe Biden. But every once in a while there's an election where I think all of us can or should agree that the voters just got it really, really wrong. And there's a classic example of that locally. For decades, the Milwaukee city attorney was a guy named Grant Langley. And Grant Langley was a really good lawyer. He was, I would describe him as a, a political moderate. 
He was, in my opinion, a lawyer's lawyer who ran the city attorney's office. And the city attorney's office handles all the litigation involving the, the city of Milwaukee, or at least most of the litigation. And they also, there's a branch of the city attorney's office that prosecutes like the parking tickets and things like that. But but Grant Langley was the city attorney for, for decades and, and I think did a really, really good job. Now, part of the thing that happened is Grant Langley kind of pulled an Aaron Rodgers. I think for the longest time he was sending signals that he, he wanted to step down. And so you had other people that were emerging to run. And then he decided, no, he was going to run again. So he ran. And there were, there were two challengers. One was a guy who named Vince Bobbitt, who used to be in the, the DA's office, in the uh, city attorney's office, and been a lawyer in town, very, very qualified. He would have been a fine choice, in my opinion, to, to run the city attorney's office. And then there was this guy named Tierman Spencer. Nobody, nobody in the legal community knew who Tierman Spencer was. He was a, a complete unknown commodity. But in this particular case, he, he was different. He wasn't part of the, the city attorneys, the, the hierarchy, and candidly, he was black. So that was a factor as well. This is going to be the first black city attorney, etc., etc. So Tierman Spencer, despite being staggeringly, staggeringly unqualified in any objective sense of the term, he he defeats Grant Langley in April twenty in, in April of twenty twenty and he becomes the city attorney. It has been a complete and total disaster with a capital D since then. Um, the Journal Sentinel has a piece that they just posted online by Allison Durr and Dan Weiss. The exodus of lawyers from Milwaukee City Attorney's Office is not slowing down. Four experienced, well-respected assistant attorneys, assistant city attorneys recently gave their notice. Get this. Overall, that brings the total number of lawyers who have left the agency to 25 since Tierman Spencer was elected. The latest departures mean that 62.5% of the legal staff has turned over in less than two years. 62%, more than one out of two of the legal staff. And and what, what happens in the city attorney's office is, you have you have people who make a career out of that because it's it's not a, it's not a bad gig it, it pays okay it it has you know solid work hours you know you got good benefits and stuff typically when people get these jobs they do not leave them um, or at least they don't leave them en masse sixty two percent of the legal staff has gone. One of the aldermen, um, Michael Murphy, is saying, well, why would anybody work there? It's a terrible place to work. The former personnel director for the city said she's disheartened by the situation. You know, she said she's sad to see high-quality lawyers leave the city because apparently nobody in the Common Council knows or cares what's going on. Well, the the problem, though, is that the elections have consequences. The city of Milwaukee voters got it really really wrong. Staffers began leaving early in Spencer's tenure, citing allegations that he sexually harassed female staffers, attempted to retaliate against one recuser, and created a hostile work environment. Now, look, I understand that there's always going to be, when you have somebody new that comes in, there's always going to be some tension with some of the holdovers, and there's a little bit of changes to be expected, but 62%. Spencer has denied wrongdoing and blamed critical media coverage and poor pay for the staff shortages. 
Well, okay, you can blame poor pay, but the people were there for decades under Langley. They leave under you. Overall, 20 assistant city attorneys, four deputies, and one special deputy have left since April 2020. This includes staffers who resigned to take other jobs, left in protest, retired, or were fired. And it just it goes on and on and on uh, about this whole situation. And that's, again, why I, I say that elections have consequences, and sometimes that, that bright, shiny object isn't worth grabbing. And, and this is exactly that, that kind of situation. It's like, oh, you know, we've got Grant Langley, and Grant Langley's been there forever, and, you know, we, we don't like the fact that Grant Langley cut a couple settlements with, like, Milwaukee police officers or whatever. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go find the new bright, shiny object, and we're going to put that person into office, and it turns out to be a complete and total disaster. This is the guy, Spencer Tierman, who announced that he was going to run for mayor and then never never even bothered I don't know if he was unable or decided he didn't want to do this. He, he wasn't able to get enough signatures or he didn't try to get signatures, so he was never even on the ballot for the primary. But these the stories about the city attorney's office, which actually historically was an extremely well-run well-run office, it's it's become a complete and total disaster with a capital D. And, again, it's the indication this is why elections matter. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. As long as we're talking about Milwaukee, let us talk about the disaster that is the Milwaukee public school system. And, and again, I, I don't, I think it is fair to say MPS is a, a disaster. Here, here's the data. And I guess once I saw this broken down, it really <clears throat> it's kind of staggering. Only 4.2% of MPS students, grades 3 through 8, scored proficient or better in math on the forward exams last year. Only 4.2%. You would think simply by guessing things, um, you'd think just guessing stuff, you, you would be able to, to do better than 4.2%. Only 7.3% of MPS students scored proficient or better in English. These are grades 3 through 8 on these forward exams. Only 8.9% of MPS students scored proficient or better in science, grades 4 and 8. Only 7.2% of MPS students scored proficient or better in social science, on exams, grades 4, 8, and 10. So you've got these exams, and, and and maybe you can argue these exams aren't the best indicator of success or things like that, and that's all that's all fair. But 4.2% proficient or better in math. All right, let, let's say this, let's see these tests underrepresent the number of people who really are proficient, and so it's not 4.2%. Let's say it's 10%. That would be 1 in 10. As it is, it's less than 1 in 20 kids, only 7.3%. Let's say it's 15% scored better in English. I mean, in English, for goodness sakes. So you have, I think it's fair to say, you have a, a school system which has failed many, many students. Admittedly, not all, but many, many students. It has been a complete and total failure, and this is not new. This is a conversation that we have been having for decades. 
And I understand that the, the typical response by some people is, well, <clears throat> we need to throw more money at this. Well, okay, we, we, we spend a lot of money, and we get almost nothing out of this. What we're doing now is not working and has not worked. And what's the old <clears throat> cliche that's out there? Doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different is the definition of insanity. So <clears throat> you have the Republicans in the legislature who have decided enough is enough. And you have Tony Evers, who is a product of the educational establishment and who owes a lot of where he is to, for example, the Institutionalized Teachers Union. So Evers has no real interest in in change at all and is happy, I think, to kind of go along with whatever the problem is. So here's the deal. The Republicans... Have, have come out with a, a number of things that have both passed the legislature and the assembly. Probably the, the biggest thing, though, is their plan to break up MPS into four to eight smaller districts. The idea being this would reduce the bureaucracy. It would provide a greater degree of accountability. It would provide more neighborhood control. The, the parents, if you have a beef with the school, you wouldn't be looking at this huge monolithic establishment. It would essentially empower parents more. Evers has already announced this is a non-starter. He intends to veto this, again, preserving the status quo. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if breaking up MPS is the solution to the problem. I I don't. I do know, though, that what we have been doing for decades, it doesn't work. It's just not working. So the question, I guess, is, do we just continue limping along, throwing money at a problem that money is not solving, and just throw up our hands and consign another generation or two to uh, coming through high school being essentially functionally illiterate. Is that what we do, or do we try something different? And and maybe it's going to work, maybe it won't work, but we know what we're doing now doesn't. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, to me... This ends up being a no-brainer, and I understand the politics of this. Tony Evers cannot cannot do something which is going to be perceived as weakening the power of the teachers' union by again, you know, spreading spreading out the number of unionized teachers among four to eight districts as opposed to one powerful one where they can dominate the school boards and things like that. But to me, it is the ultimate betrayal of parents and students who depend on the public schools, who for whatever reason can't get out of them, to simply say we're not going to try something different. And maybe it's going to turn out five years from now that these numbers are still going to be as pathetic as they were. But don't we owe it to the kids to try something different? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, MPS 
Republicans passed legislation which would break MPS into smaller school districts. Governor's already said it's a non-starter. He's going to veto this. Therefore, in my opinion, consigning you know yet another generation of public school students in Milwaukee to a, a complete failure. I don't know if this is the ultimate answer in 2022. I, I don't know. But but we got to do something, don't we? Simply saying, okay, we're going to continue to have this huge bureaucracy that's dominated by the teachers' union, and we're going to spend all the money we spend, and we're not going to be surprised the results aren't different. Isn't that unacceptable? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Rich in Waukesha. Rich, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I think that they're both missing the heart of the problem, and that is, the oversight by administration um, and, and the lack of accountability for results, the lack of problem solving, et cetera. And I'm going to explain this specifically. Superintendents like the one that Waukesha, Waukesha School District superintendent for many, many years, he hired principals as well as those working for him to sweep problems under the under the rug so and it kept the school board in the dark as to what the real problems were and what so they didn't have a clear picture of priorities and he truly didn't empower the teachers as to how they could better teach with the resources they were given and also troubleshoot problems within the hallways, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The, the, the job, and primarily it's driven by the fact that the principals and the superintendent want to prolong their tenure as, as well as increase their, their bonuses. That is why they kept the school board in the dark because they could say, well, everything's going well. Here's our objectives. They essentially ran the show, and the school boards would literally just be a rubber stamp on yeah. whatever okay. was proposed by. Okay, Rich, Rich thanks for calling. I appreciate, it, but I, I want to. You're, you're talking. You're, you're talking about Waukesha, and I, I, we're not really discussing. We're talking about you know the failures that are MPS. If your point is, we need to figure out a way to have more accountability. I, I'm all in favor of the whole notion of more accountability. And I think that's kind of what's driving this this at least idea, which is smaller school districts, um, more ability, less bureaucracy, more ability for parents to have input and an an easier way of of progressing and, and measuring success of of schools if you're dealing with six schools as opposed to, you know, a hundred schools. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Claudia in well I'm tell you tell you what, I'm gonna we're gonna carry this over. I don't wanna I don't wanna shortchange people with regard to the conversation because it's too important. Um we're we're gonna pick this up on the other side of the news. Jeff, I'm all for new strategies for failing MPS, but splitting the district into multiple bureaucracies with duplicated high paid administrators is not smart. 
Um, what we need is for Governor Evers, former state superintendent, to create a special state team to analyze and urge major reforms that don't cost even more. Well, first of all, you're not going to get any major reforms from Tony Evers. That That's just, he is a creature of the status quo, and you're not going to get that. Secondly, I guess I don't accept the premise that if you divide the school district up into into four to eight districts, you're automatically going to duplicate the same giant bureaucracy that they have in each of the four to eight districts. Matter of fact, I would argue that you could probably do it, you know, without having to do that. Jeff, my brother is an assistant superintendent of schools. He's retiring six years early because he is appalled with what is happening in Wisconsin schools and to our children. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, here's the aggravating thing about this to me, that for years and years and years, we've accepted that the status quo without recognizing that the status quo isn't isn't working and and I understand when it comes to MPS you are dealing with this entire this huge bureaucracy you've got the the union which is incredibly powerful and in many respects controls the school board you've got the educational establishment that's there you've got in this case you've got a governor who is part and parcel of that that educational status quo and you've got it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes and and you pretend there's this pretending that there's not that there's not problems out there and the solution that you always hear is well we need more money well let's throw more money at it well you look at the per pupil spending in mps and th- th- we spend a lot of money and we get almost nothing out of it now look i i understand it's not all the fault of the teachers i i get that if you're in a school district where you have a lot of parents who are punched out for whom education isn't valuable and so you know they're they're not there with the flashcards i know we don't do flashcards anywhere but but they're not there forcing the kids to do homework and things like that i i understand that you you have all these different challenges but i guess my point is do we do anybody a service by just saying okay we've got these challenges let's just continue to to limp on no 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 i was looking at one of the stories in the journal Sentinel about and of course you've got the the many media outlets in this area are completely invested in the status quo as well oh you know how dare we even look at things like breaking up mps and stuff like this so you know you've got the the media big media which is generally invested in the status quo because we don't want to do these sort of radical changes because who knows it, it might upset the apple cart and it might actually work but you know you've got the superintendent saying well um, he said the change would set back the city's schools and partnerships within community organizations. Unfortunately, this would weaken those efforts, creating instability and breaking our positive momentum apart. To which my response would be, what are you talking about? What, what positive momentum? 4.2% of MPS students scored proficient or better in math on these exams. 7.3% scored proficient or better in English. Okay, and, and even if we assume, again, that the, these exams aren't the be-all, end-all, let's, let's triple Let's triple the success rate. Let's make it 12% instead. That still means almost 9 out of 10 kids aren't proficient in math. And does anybody really doubt that that's the reality of this? And yet we're talking about momentum? What the heck are people discussing? And and if, if I guess I, I look at this and I say, look, I, I maybe it's not the 
the ultimate solution. But what do you lose by trying it? And and if it turns out that four or five years from now we look and we find out that, okay, breaking up the district and, and having the smaller districts and arguably the more accountable school boards so that you're not dealing with this huge monolithic bureaucracy, if it turns out that that hasn't worked, Okay, then we move to plan B or plan C. But how can you continue just operating with the status quo and confining generation after generation of urban children to essentially a, a terrible education? And I understand when I say that not, not everybody that comes out of MPS can't write and can't do uh, math and things like that. I understand that there are some kids who do well and there are some schools that perform well. But let's face it, that's not the majority of the situation. Jeff, the cost-performance ratio is horrible. In the private sector, anyone this bad would be fired in a second if their business hadn't already gone out of business. Um, Jeff, the more the educational system fails, the more reliant the population is on government systems. Could it be intentional? Well, I, I hope. Um, you know, hope that's not the case. Jeff, K through 12 tech colleges have become, and tech colleges have become top heavy with administrators making six figure salaries with positions that did not exist a few years ago. Okay. Um, let's talk to Tim in Milwaukee. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. I'm, uh, I'm an ex employee of MPS. Um, and if you look back about 20 years ago, they split the district up into six different quadrants. And we mm-hmm. spent millions of dollars putting in office spaces for all these new superintendents. And that didn't work. And then I believe we got another superintendent. He took it from six to four. Um, and that didn't work, and then they garbaged the whole thing. So I, I don't know if we split it up again, how many more millions are we going to throw into this? I know we gutted a good portion of the shops at Bayview High School and mm-hmm. put in offices there for them. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you think I, is I the solution? You'd have to... What do you think is the solution? I mean, you know if, what we I, accept, yeah, if, if we accept the, the premise that what we're doing now doesn't is, work. Right, and I, I have a grandson in MPS, and I believe they should go back to the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. They've changed the curriculum such that I, I, don't, I don't get it, but I'm old, too, you know. <laughs> uh, I retired there. I was 30, 30 years in the system, and like I say, you know, and Evers actually was the state superintendent of schools during that time. So that being said, I can see his point going, no, I'll veto it, because he knows it didn't work. So, you know, I don't know. I think more incentives to get more parents involved in the schools would would uh, be helpful. Um, it, it, you know, because how do you make a kid learn? You're going to beat him with a stick? Well, no, thanks, Nicole. I appreciate the perspective, Tim. I I guess, first of all, where where this idea, I think, differs from what they did decades ago is the fact that this... It's it's still not one monolithic school district with different quadrants. It's 
it's it's different school districts. And I, I think the idea would be not to create the same enormous bureaucracy so that you would have more access, so that the parents would have more access and, and more accountability. And you could, you could actually look and you could say, okay, what, what's going on? with this particular school and and why is it that this particular school isn't working why is it that Johnny and Joni can't read why is it that they can't do basic math what what exactly is is the problem in this particular neighborhood type of school is it that the parents are punched out is it that the the teachers aren't doing a good job is it that the curriculum is screwed up whatever but the idea with the smaller sort of system would be more accountability, but I, I'm willing to understand that that maybe that isn't the ultimate answer. Okay, I mean, maybe maybe there's something else that you end up having to do, but at the same time, we got to do something different, don't we? I mean, the, the system is stuck in the mud. Let's talk to Jim in Oconomowoc. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? I uh, I'm a I'm a teacher in MTS. And one of the biggest concerns that I and and fellow teachers have is trying to teach students who are angry, mad, upset. And it's not just that they are going to outburst and and we're waiting for them to outburst. It's they're sitting there and they're angry. They're not thinking about learning. Mm-hmm. Alberta Darling, when she was running the last time, I heard an ad because she's on the budget committee, and she made sure that the students of MPS, all of their social-emotional needs are met. I'm sorry. That system that's in place, is not. there's not enough. And I know you say, oh, we're just going to throw more money at it. I'm not saying throw more money at it. I'm saying throw different money or throw money that's better used in trying to help the students be able, the students and their families to be able to work their way through their living situations to try and make it so they're not mad and angry before they come to school. And then they get there and something sets them off. Well, what's going to happen? They're, the rest of their day is lost. At least an hour is just my, lost. My, my question to you would be, how? I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, is it that we, and I'm asking this legitimately, I mean, is it that we, we guarantee everybody an income so everybody gets $50,000 a year so that they, they don't have some of the pressures that are out there? I mean, what? It, it sounds like you're talking about something that is a major societal sort of change. You know, when you say well, we got people that are angry, and I don't disagree with that. We got, you know, we had almost 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. There's, you know, a stupid number of cars that are being stolen every day. So, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that are are out there and are not able to comport themselves with what we would think of, you know, in a normal sort of society. But so, so what do we do? I mean, how do we do that? You you hit the nail on the head, and I'm not saying that, uh, uh, you know, what, what, I can't remember the term they use for the income that Andrew Yang was trying to present. He was running for president. Mm-hmm. But, yes, there, there needs to be a way 
for the the people who are struggling to, and I'm not saying give them money because I, I'm not all for that. Mm-hmm. But we got to figure out how to do it, and that I think there's been two sides wanting to work at it, and, and the two very far sides you got the side that wants to give them the money so then they can have money and be able to do the things that they need to do that people who of better means have been able to do for the last mm-hmm. 30, 40, 100, 200 years. I'm sorry. I, no, I, I'm sorry. I really I apologize. I found your call intriguing. I just, I'm kind of up against the clock. I have this clock thing I have to deal with. You know, interesting thoughts. I, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. Obviously, you get this bigger societal issue that, that's out there. I don't know how to, in the short term, solve the bigger societal issue to deal with, you know, anger and frustrations that people have. I guess short term, I'm just trying to figure out how we help get people, kids to read and write at, at a more proficient level. And, and in, while we're working on the big equal society sort of stuff, I, I think we have to be open to other ideas on, on the micro level, which is, okay, maybe if we get rid of this bureaucracy, we can pr- have more accountability. Back with more in just a minute, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.